This is Sir Gene with the morning update. Good morning, Surf. Today I want to start on something a little lighter, the story of the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell, and uh, the fact that after getting notoriety for going to the White House and um, being made fun of for having some QAnon plans uh, that were observed by people taking photographs with zoom lenses uh, that he was holding, um, apparently the company is now sold out of a lot of their products. So uh, I, I think this is the same effect that Goya Foods had several months earlier um, when the CEO of Goya Foods uh, supported Donald Trump and his bid to re-election. Uh, there was a, a big backlash and there was campaigns in, in uh, social media um, telling people to stop buying Goya Foods and to uh, deplatform them, essentially. Uh, really drive them out of business, I think, was the real intent. And what happened was the exact opposite. The people who weren't tweeting, people that aren't the loudmouths um, and out in the, in the uh, social media sphere actually started buying more Goya foods that maybe they weren't buying before. Um, I think a lot of people that don't traditionally buy foods that Goya makes because they don't make uh, recipes um, that are Mexican or any of the Latin cultural foods all of a sudden started buying foods that Goya produces either to try them or, you know, regardless of why, essentially to support the company. So Goya saw an uptick in its sales as a result of, uh, of that action, even though they were absolutely pilloried in the media and in social media for doing what they did. So I think the, uh, this, the story here with Mike Lindell is going to be similar to where uh, the old adage of all press is good press is extremely true in this situation as well. Uh, so he he's, uh, from what I'm reading here, I guess the company's backlogged on, on quite a few orders um, of the products, pillows, and they also make, I guess, other products as well. Now, I will say uh, I've never bought one of his pillows, and I do know somebody that had, and they said it wasn't particularly good. So there may be a question of quality here, but, um, but certainly people want to support him in that endeavor. And uh, just before j- jumping off the topic uh, of um, social media and food, um, one thing that I did find uh, is that Goya Foods, which did see this absolute uptick in sales, they I think at the peak they had a a thousand percent sales spike immediately after the comments from uh, uh, AOC, and for that month. Um, but you know, regardless of the fact that the company's been making more money, the board of directors has voted to remove the CEO because uh, the, the the people that own the company don't really want to make more money; they want to instead play in the game. Uh, of uh, cancel culture. So we'll see what happens to Goya um, if they keep heading down that path and uh, what kind of uh, sales and support they're going to keep receiving. Um, All right, let's see what else is going on here. Um, Oh, uh, so Biden, uh, where is he? What's he doing? Uh, Everybody's best guess is he's in the White House basement, I guess, Um, because he has not really been seen a whole lot. Now, he's been using his pen an awful lot. Uh, He's over 40 executive orders, um, and we're not even through with uh, half a month here. Um, so he's been cranking that out like crazy, but he's not been available to reporters to ask questions. He's not really been present um, outside of a few very controlled photographs and videos of him in the White House. Uh, and I, I suspect this is by design, and it's probably going to be for the rest of his term of the presidency. Now, as you know, I don't think he's going to survive all th- four years here or Maybe to put it a little bit more uh, or less nefariously and more accurately, I don't think he's going to be president for all four years. He may very well live through the next four years, but I give him a maximum of one year as president, and it may be a lot sooner than that. We'll we'll see what happens. I think for him, 
having spent his entire life in politics, this achievement of becoming president, regardless of how it happened, is the crowning moment. He's got what he wanted. I don't think he's ever actually wanted to be president, meaning do the job of the president of the United States. Um, well, maybe he had back when he first ran in, in the, uh, was it the 70s or the 80s? It was uh, quite a long time ago uh, when he first uh, tried to run for president. So maybe at that point, he actually uh, saw himself as as being the right guy for that job and and really being able to do a lot. I think right now, given his um, his age, his recent decline, that we've all been able to observe um, the fact that even during the campaign, he really didn't make many appearances. Uh, he certainly wasn't talking a whole lot to people. And when he was, we have tons and tons of clips of him uh, not making sense of the words coming out of his mouth, uh, probably not being what he intended to come out of his mouth. So, so Biden's uh, kind of, uh, he, he's a, he's the basement president. Um, and I think we're going to probably expect that. And unfortunately, Jen Psaki, who, I always enjoyed watching uh, during the Obama administration. Uh, she was she was that quirky girl that went to band camp, as we all remember. Um, you know, as she's uh, transitioned into this administration, unfortunately, I think that she's also become less interesting and quirky and just more incompetent. Uh, she doesn't have answers on the tip of her tongue. She doesn't really even have the uh, the questions prepared for her in her folder, in her binder. A lot of times she's just looking through and not finding what she thinks she's going to be able to find in there. Um, so, oh, by the way, if you hear any any honking in the background, apparently there's a car alarm going off. And I'm not going to bother re-recording this. Uh, this is good. This will just add a little bit of live flavor to it. There we go. That's off. Hopefully it's not going to go on again. Um, so... I think Jen Psaki is absolutely in over her head. Um, you know, c comparing her uh, to Kaylee is, is like, uh, it's not a fair comparison. Uh, we're talking A team versus C team. And uh, maybe Jen, will, if she sticks around long enough, will uh, get a little better at it. But I suspect that uh, probably isn't going to happen. So we may end up uh, losing her as she gets more frustrated and gets more depressed about her job, um, which clearly she was very excited about coming in um, as the press secretary when uh, the administration first came in. Um, all right. So uh, what about Jen? Oh, um, I guess uh, we can shift focus to everyone's favorite topic these days, which is the Reddit Raiders, as they're being called, um, which is really just, a, I think at this point, a lot more than Redditors. I think a lot of people have jumped on the bandwagon that are not regulars on Reddit, certainly not R Redditors, in the group that originally started this. Um, but nonetheless, uh, with all these people on board, Reddit still seems to be the, the unifying name that everyone is looking at this, this large block of uh, money uh, as being associated with. Um, and so what happened with that? Well, obviously we're, we're still seeing um, GameStop holding, which is their big battle cry, right? Is hold the line. Um, which is really fun to watch. So I, I will definitely say I'm not uh, participating in this stuff. I'm enjoying the hell out of watching it. This is this is really fun and exciting, and it's it's not bleak and depressing like most other aspects of uh, political news these days. So it's fun watching the head fund head head fund head hedge fund managers and uh, uh, hedge fund owners uh, uh, getting screwed in the process. Right. So it's 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 a little bit of um, uh, schadenfreude, right? It's it's enjoying the misery of others, uh, a little bit of a 
um, sadism, I guess you could say. But hey, uh, I guess everyone's got a sadistic streak these days because we do all enjoy watching these guys uh, getting hammered. But uh, the news that came out this morning or last night is that the next target here um, is actually silver. And I saw inklings of this probably two days ago. Uh, people started talking about it. But um, as of this morning, it is absolutely uh, the case that silver is mostly sold out and the price of silver is skyrocketing. So um, not only uh, are these people into gaming, apparently they're also into photography, uh, old school photography, OG photography with film. Because for most of the last century, the biggest consumer of silver has been Kodak and um, other companies that made film. Uh, and well, no, I shouldn't just say film that were in the photography business because it's, I guess it's the silver halide on the actual paper on photographs that was uh, uh, utilizing huge quantities of silver, not so much uh, the chemistry of the film itself. But um, if you shoot film, you're presumably not just going to scan that in because why would you? You could just uh, take a digital photograph to begin with. Um, although I'm sure some people do that, but you're probably going to want to print. And when you print on paper, that absolutely uses silver. So um, that has not been a big use of silver for quite a long time. So right now, uh, I think it's it's mainly much like gold seen as a, um, a a physical hedge against the volatility of the currency markets. But given given what's happening right now with the Reddit Raiders uh, and the price of silver going up, this is going to have some more interesting ripples. And I think it's making a lot of people pretty damn scared into what's going to be next. Like, is there a little piece of of the investment market going to be the next one to get attacked. So um, again, as somebody who's not really participating, just watching from the sidelines, it's been great to see all this happening. It's been quite enjoyable. And really it is true populism. It is not some corporation. It, it, and it's not even just really a well-organized group. It's a small organized group with a much, much larger audience of people supporting the cause that have joined in. This is, this is really that crazy guy that starts doing the wave in a stadium. And it, and he's he's the first guy. He's the first one that decides right now is when I'm going to kick this off. And the buddies he came to the stadium with are, of course, going to support him. They're the actual Reddit group, uh, that particular subreddit. And so he starts the wave. They join in. People next to them look around and think, oh, I guess the wave is being done. Let's Let's do it. They don't know these people. They weren't planning on starting to do the wave at that point in time. But they're joining in. And uh, bit by bit... Now you, you end up with a wave going around the entire stadium with thousands and tens of thousands of people doing it. So I think this is much the same effect um, that is we're seeing happening. And another good way that I heard somebody describe it is that the, um, the, the current favorite video game that is being enjoyed by people that are stuck at home and uh, not able to spend money at bars, not able to probably even have as much disposable income simply because uh, opportunities for that have gone away. People are more afraid of losing their jobs, obviously, in this market as a lot of companies are shutting down. But the video game that these people have realized they can play is they can take a little bit of money. You know, not everyone's putting in $100,000. In fact, very few people are putting those figures in. Most people are putting in 100 bucks. 100 bucks, they're buying their fractal, uh, fraction of a share. Um, you know, maybe they've already got an account with $5,000 in it. They're taking 10% of that. They're taking 500 bucks to, uh, to move into these sort of video game style uh, plays of the market um, that are really not based on fundamentals. Uh, they're not based on uh, technical analysis. They're based on pure emotional driven response to the actions of people that are seen as the enemy. 
And uh, in a lot of ways, people that grew up playing video games, this is, this is exactly the script that you have in a video game. You have the evil bad guys that have gotten to where they are predominantly on the backs of others. And you have the white hat riding in to town on the horse and nobody really knows who he is. And, and next thing you know, he's the guy that can make a, a big difference. Um, Red Dead Redemption, one of the most successful video games uh, of the last several years, whenever it came out a few years ago. It's it's a storyline that weaves in and out. Now, of course, that game is awesome because there's a lot of very dark elements in it as well. But um, this is the typical hero's journey, right? Is you you finally stand up for something that is good and just, and if enough of you do it, then anything is possible. And I think that's what's driving the current movement uh, that was really started by Reddit, but is much much bigger than Reddit at this point. Um, all right, let's jump to science for a quick bit. Uh, I just uh, noticed people talking and. Um, no agenda social, uh, and actually, I guess, um, there was an article and Adam brought it up about lasers in satellites. And I wanted to point out that the laser communication between satellites was actually a big part of the original Starlink, um, plan that Elon Musk had for his satellite network, the low earth orbit satellite, cheap internet. So, um, some more conspiratorial minded folks, um, have said, well, this is just uh, his way of building a network for the U.S. government. And I don't honestly disagree. I, I think that there are absolutely satellites that are, or I, I should say can be, and are likely are going to be utilized by the U.S. government because this network is so damn good. Uh, in its final plan, there, there will be up to 40,000 satellites that are uh, all in a variety of orbits that can talk to each other uh, through a laser communication system. And you think about that as, so, well, man, isn't that going to be really a lot of energy and really hard? And the answer is no, because they're in a vacuum. Um, the thing that most people don't really realize is that fiber optic cables, which is the way that most communication happens globally. So uh, between Europe and the U.S. or Asia and, and the U.S., any place you have long distances, or even probably for a lot of people, it's the fiber coming into your house, right? It's all fiber optic cables. They're using lab lasers for um, um, data flow. Uh, for sending data back and forth. But fiber optics are not like vacuum. In vacuum, uh, that laser is able to be transmitted at almost exactly the speed of light um, because the speed of light is defined in the vacuum. It's the speed that light travels in the vacuum. Uh, however, that speed slows down, and it slows down greatly when it's traveling through other medium. Like when light is going through water, it is going significantly slower. And of course, I forgot to actually look up what the speed of uh, laser through water is because I wasn't thinking about it, but um, I do know it is quite a bit slower. And when, light, when that light is traveling through fiber optic lines, it is also traveling significantly slower. Like I think it's three or four times slower than laser in a vacuum. So while uh, your, your fiber connection um, to your house and certainly uh, fiber connections between the continents are extremely fast compared to other methods, they are nonetheless slower than lasers would be outside of fibers just going around from satellite to satellite. And that is how, um, contrary to people's, uh, uh, I guess, uh, presumptions, the latency of using Starlink, and this is once it's fully deployed, it's not that right now, but once it's fully deployed, the latency of using Starlink, um, especially for longer distances, like if you're pulling something from a server that's sitting in Europe and you're sitting in the US, will be faster. So it's a lower latency, um, faster uh, communication speed than using terrestrial networks that rely on fiber optic cables buried under the ocean. 
Um, so in this particular case, uh, almost counterintuitively, satellite communication will be faster than communication using ground-based stations. And it's pretty neat. And uh, because of the sheer number of satellites and the fact that they can talk to each other and bypass terrestrial uh, ground stations, um, well, of course, it's naturally a great system for the military to utilize as well. Uh, it's much like the internet itself was designed to be able to survive um, catastrophic events that only affect a portion of the network. The network will self-heal and reroute around that. And it's the same principle with these uh, Starlink satellites. If uh, some of the satellites end up lost for whatever reason, damaged, they're not communicating, uh, the network simply works around them. And there might be a, a slight slowdown in the particular area that's right below those satellites where they would have been the primary communication tool. But in general, it, it is a system that is self-healing and can uh, can mitigate satellite loss and be able to provide communications even if that were to happen. Now, of course, you know, it, it's all a percentage, right? So if, if out of 40,000 satellites, if you knock out a half of them and, and 20,000 satellites are now dead, obviously the system is going to uh, suffer much more than if one or two of them die. Um, but also those satellites are, uh, they're maneuverable. And I know I'm, I'm definitely sounding like a space nerd that I am right now um, because I really enjoy this topic, but uh, uh, the the satellites that are used for Starlink, um, they, they have considerably more um, fuel to be able to move around uh, because they've got... Um, they're, they're using a, um, I can't remember if it's Xenon or was it Argon? It was either Argon or Xenon. But anyway, they're, they're using extremely efficient propulsion um, compared to traditional uh, chemical propulsion models. Uh, they're using electric propulsion uh, that, that essentially uses magnets, electromagnets, to accelerate Xenon or uh, Krypton. Was it Krypton? It's one, of the, it's one of the gases, right? One of the noble gases, Xenon, Krypton, uh, or Argon. To be able to, and you can use all of them, they just give you slightly different parameters of efficiency. Uh, but it's it's essentially using uh, magnets to uh, create a, a plasma and accelerate that gas after stripping all the electrons off of it. So uh, it's a pretty neat system. It's really low power. It's like barely any power at all. You have to keep that, um, that engine running for uh, long periods of time, not like a few minutes, like with a chemical rocket, but like maybe an hour or hours uh, um, to get the same level um, of... of uh, uh, delta V change on it, but the flip side is they're super efficient. So the reason I bring that up is because if, if a number of satellites get destroyed in a particular orbit, they can actually reposition other satellites to cover those areas fairly quickly. Um, Starlink really is going to be Skynet. It's, it's going to be the system that everybody's plugged into that eventually, I suspect, all of our phones, all devices that communicate will be able to utilize not just terrestrial systems like 5G and Wi-Fi, but also the, the satellite systems. And the most likely winner in this satellite race is probably going to be Starlink because they are so far ahead. They've now launched their thousandth satellite. So um, uh, yeah, there's literally nobody even close. No other network of satellites is close in terms of sheer numbers. Um, and I think either this year or possibly at the beginning of next year, uh, if they keep going at the pace they have been, which there's no reason to think they won't, they will have more satellites in that single network than all the other satellites that have ever been launched from Earth in all of history. So it's it's a really cool thing. Um, and and it, contrary to what some people will say too, they're not blocking out the sun. Uh, the, the amount of space that is in space compared to the size of these satellites, uh, even with 40,000 satellites, uh, it's, it's really going to be spread out in a very small... Uh, like, if you can imagine, um, if you have 40,000 satellites put one satellite per square mile 
of the globe. And the globe has way more than 40,000 square miles of uh, a surface area on it. So is putting one satellite that's maybe, uh, I can't remember how big they are, that's like two meters by two meters, roughly. Uh, is that going to significantly blot out the sun? Of course not. So um, anyway, neat stuff. I've spent way too much time talking about it, but clearly a topic that I enjoy. Uh, what else we had? Here's a completely goofy story, but it I just made me laugh, so I had to talk about it. A couple arrested after they had sex on a Ferris wheel and uploaded the video to OnlyFans. Where did this happen? Of course, in South Carolina. Where else would it happen? Um, I, I think it's pretty damn funny. Uh, I mean, like, there's plenty of people that have had sex uh, in public situations because it adds something to the experience. Um, now, uploading that, recording it, and then uploading it to media that can somebody can track back down to them. Now, that to me seems like that's the more risky maneuver than actually having sex on the Ferris wheel. But uh, nonetheless, um, I think it's, uh, it's pretty damn funny. Uh, don't need to talk anymore about that. Um, here's something that popped up on my radar. Um, SEC names the wife of the disgraced FBI agent, Peter Strzok, as the division director uh, in, the, in the Securities Exchange Commission. So as we're talking about the fact that... Uh, that Yellen got eight eighty or no eight hundred thousand uh, dollars for speaking uh, in the uh, in the financial sector, and in fact, I think wasn't it from the actual hedge fund that uh, that was trying to uh, destroy GameStop? Um, I think it was, but I'm not one hundred percent sure. Anyway, so the people that are in charge of these are all anti-Trumpers. They're all people that are absolutely partial and are going to utilize uh, their political interests to uh, make decisions rather than making decisions for the good of the country. So I think this is horrible news. Um, so her name is Melissa Hodgman. And um, I guess she's the wife of uh, Peter Strzok, um, which, yeah, I guess, you know, a lot of people have different last names these days. But that, that to me is a big red flag, uh, given what's happening with uh, with the government solidly being on the say on the side of the hedge funds, uh, like the piece we talked about yesterday about that Elizabeth Warren wanted more regulations to be able to prevent tempering like the guys, uh, from, uh, Reddit are doing, which is a completely backwards, ridiculous position. Um, so anyway, let's keep an eye out on that. Um, I mean, she's been named to that position. I don't think she has to get confirmed, so it's probably a done deal. Uh, Another story I saw here is Mike Pence, now homeless and couch surfing, planning to rake in millions through new nonprofit uh, that will allow him to remain close to Republican donors as he contemplates a run for the presidency. This is such a non-starter. Um, conservatives have become a lot more populist in the Trump years. Nobody wants a Mike Pence as their president. Nobody on the left, nobody on the right. And maybe the people he actually goes to church with like him and would like him to be the president. But honestly, I mean, you could pull a random person off the street and they'd have about as much chance as Mike Pence for getting elected president. Um, so I really don't know what's going on there. And do we want Mike Pence to be, who's not particularly populist. He definitely represents part of the swamp. As far as I'm concerned, um, there, there's nothing that uh, made him stand out and uh, show himself to be a swamp drainer or a swamp cleaner over the last four years. Uh, this guy, brought to the Trump's, um, to, to his campaign team, something that Trump clearly felt he didn't have, which is a strong religious basis. Um, and so to get the votes from the, uh, the people that look at religion as a, a very high, um, deciding factor, 
uh, he brought in Pence. And I think that's literally the only thing Pence did for Trump. It's the only thing that uh, he brought to the table. Um, and I think that's the same thing he left with. So uh, I'm sure his popularity in that sector is still probably viable, but that sector represents such a small, tiny minority of the conservative movement at this point in time. So uh, if he runs, it's just going to be a waste of money. Now, the, the more important thing in this article, though, talks about his nonprofit and wanting to work more closely with Republican donors. So essentially, he wants to be the gatekeeper. He wants to be the guy that's collecting shekels on the way in, taking a slice of those from every contribution uh, that goes in to support Republican candidates. Um, you know, plenty of people have done that. Uh, not really, uh, not really something that I think is good for the party or the movement. Um, when I'm asked for donations from the actual party themselves, uh, the, the, um, uh, the GOPs, which on a state level, it's a little better, but even still, I just always reply back with, you know, I make my donations directly. I don't need you guys to be in the middle of that. I don't believe in all the tenants of the Republican party. And I, I guarantee you the Republican party doesn't believe in the tenants that I actually do believe in. Uh, they don't care about individual freedom and liberty. They, they care about getting those votes, no matter what it takes. And then they don't know what to do with them. So when they had a majority, they squandered it. And so they deserve absolutely what they got in this particular situation. So uh, there are candidates out there that I like, and I will make the contributions directly to them or their campaigns rather than funneling them through the Republican party. So Hopefully other people realize that that's the only way to do it. There's just as much swamp in the Republicans as there is in the Democrats. The Republicans are just quieter about it. And they tend to sit back and make shitty laws rather than being on Twitter all day long like AOC and saying stupid things about it. But in the end, if you look at what actually passes and the fact that it required a lot of these, uh, a lot of these uh, legislations, a lot of the legislation required the Republicans to be on board or they wouldn't have passed. Um, and uh, nonetheless, uh, we have tons of bad legislation uh, that, that's coming out and has come out certainly during uh, Barack Obama's days. And even during Trump, um, a lot of bad legislation came out. And so the Republicans don't have an automatic you're off the hook because you have a, an R behind your name. Um, as far as I'm concerned, those days are done. And I hope a lot of people are with me on that. So let's close that story out. Uh, oh, look at speaking of the rhino Republicans, and maybe I should just start calling them Republicans. Maybe Maybe the Republican in name only isn't even appropriate anymore at this point. Um, 10 Republicans praise Biden's call for unity and want to work in good faith on new COVID-19 relief bill. Anybody, anybody want to guess who the 10 Republicans are? Um, well, you know, Mitt Romney's right there. Susan Collins is right there. Uh, you know, the sellouts, the, the people that really should have had a D by their name a long time ago. They're there. Um, people that don't mind spending money like it grows on trees. Um, you know, last, uh, last stats I saw was that Biden had a three times higher approval rating from Democrats, uh, than he does from Republicans. This is one, one of the, the polling places uh, did a poll. So self, self-identified Democrats, uh, like him in the three to one ratio over self-identified Republicans. Why does this guy still get to call himself a Republican? He's clearly not. He should have been kicked out a long time ago. Uh, frankly, he should have never been allowed to run for president, but that just tells you where the Republican party had its head at, at that point in time. So, um, yeah. And meanwhile, while that's happening, while the Republicans are trying to cozy up to the Democrats, um, uh, Antifa is uh, lashing out at Biden for broken promises to provide an immediate $2,000 stimulus. Gee, um, are the Antifa really so stupid as to believe that a campaign promise is something that the, the politician is going to keep? I guess they are. 
maybe maybe they'll get a little wiser. Maybe they'll realize that they've they've been utilized as the uh, uh, disposable guard dogs uh, by the Democrats and uh, used to antagonize the rest of them of the country while being able to say, well, that's not us. That's not the Democratic Party. That's, you know, Antifa and Antifa is not really a group. It's more of an idea. It's something that just sort of exists. So we have no control over them. They do what they want. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's see what happens when Antifa does what it wants back against the Democrats. And we've seen a little bit of already in um, in Portland where the um, they attacked the Democrat headquarters. I think a lot more of that is coming, frankly, because... Um, you know, Antifa knows the Republicans don't like him, but they thought they had a friend in the current administration. And what they're realizing is, uh, no, no, they're just being utilized by the current administration. They don't actually like Antifa. So maybe that's a good thing. And then the last thing I want to cover, and this is something that um, I've I got a link to this in uh, No Agenda Social. I think it's great. Um, it's a an article printed, well, published, I should say, by Quillette, Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.com. And Quillette is, you know, one of a multitude of publications out there. But the article is Beating Back Cancel Culture, a case study from the field of artificial intelligence. And it is really, really good. It's a great article. It's written well. And it actually breaks down and tells you the areas that need to be attacked, or, or I shouldn't probably use that word, areas that need to have energy put into them to be able to make a difference um, in, in canceling cancel culture in essentially pushing back and backing out of it. Um, and I'll just give you the headlines of, of the, the main areas that they've found, um, finding your friends. Uh, there's nothing worse than facing a mob alone. So building a network, we're doing that, right? We're all on the network. Pick your battles. All workplace and professional fields can present their share of dogmatic and unpleasant personalities. You can't take all of them on. You got to pick your battles, find the things that have the highest value to you. Know what to expect. Cancel culture has its own bullet point playbook. And they'll respond aggressively to any symbolic act that threatens their status. And uh, that is absolutely true. And it's, it's a way of knowing what to expect when you get pushback. And when you're prepared, you can short circuit that pushback. Um, so another good point in that article. Don't back down. Don't apologize. Don't make clarifications. Don't try and appease the mob. It's not going to work. Just repeat your message. Be pushing in the direction you're pushing that's the only thing that's going to make a difference. Uh, next item, don't let them make it about you. This is a favorite one of them, right? This is, this is where they love to just shift the focus of the conversation, the debate, the argument to the personality that's trying to push forward an idea rather than the idea itself. Um, extremely, extremely common. So uh, don't let them get away with it. Uh, shift the focus at the argument. And if they start uh, personalizing it, um, don't personalize them because then you'll both be engaging in the exact same type of rhetoric. Um, make fun of them for the fact that they have no actual arguments and the only thing they can do is to uh, shift the focus from the actual argument that they have nothing to fight against to the person making the argument. Um, hold the higher moral ground. Don't, don't get into insults, taunts, at homilum attacks. Uh, whatever happens, always stay at a higher level than them. Um, mock them mercilessly. I love this. This is, this is literally what one of their, uh, tactics says right in the article, mock them mercilessly. This is the one I probably engage in the most. I, I love making fun of people that are on the wrong side of debate. This is, this is not only uh, a useful thing to do. It's actually a pleasurable thing to do. Uh, the, the cancel culture folks take themselves extremely seriously. They, they think they truly are the social justice angels out there. Their ends justify the means because the alternative to them is inconceivable. 
Um, so making fun of them, uh, putting bullets in their sanctimonious spirit, it, it's, it's a great thing to do. There's about another five or six uh, other examples of ways to fight back that they have in this article. Um, so make sure you look for it on uh, Nogen Social or otherwise. Um, I will actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a link in the description. I'll do that. I'm trying to minimize the amount of work that I do for myself, but this article is so good, I will actually put a link in the description for the podcast. So you can just click on that and get it. So uh, that about wraps it up for today. I know there's a number of stories that I'm sure I missed, uh, but we'll have to catch up on them tomorrow. Um, so thanks for listening once again. Uh, hopefully you're getting something out of this. If you are, let me know. Uh, I very much am looking for feedback right now on things that you like and things you don't like. And also tell somebody else if you think they would enjoy listening to this as well. Until tomorrow, take care. 